Amen. Thank you, Jason. Um, well, good morning. My name is Jeremy Stevens, as Jason mentioned, and um, I have the pleasure of bringing forth the word this morning. And uh, I just want to say thank you for being here um, with the smoke, with uh, the cooler weather. Uh, I know there's probably a, a lot of things you could be doing right now, um, but I just want to say thank you that I have the privilege to have your ears this morning, and I hope to gain your heart by the end of service. And so um, if you were here two weeks, uh, three weeks ago, uh, I was able to bring forth a message on UGM, and this is just another little plug for you. Just going to leave that right there. <laughs> um, but so this morning, um, we are coming off the heels of John the Baptist being beheaded, Jesus being rejected at Nazareth. And um, one of the key things that Michael left us with, and he actually said, if there's anything he wanted you to take away from that message, it was Jesus calling you and coming to him. He said, come to me. And so it's interesting this morning, when you think of Jesus feeding the 5,000, if you remember that the disciples, as they look on the crowd, what do they say? Send them away. I love, I don't think Michael intended to do that, but he actually set me up this morning very well. So Michael, thank you for that. So we're going to get in uh, today to some, some of the context of, today, uh, of today's sermon. We're going to go through the parallel of Moses in the Old Testament and the bread from heaven and the feeding of the 5,000 with Jesus. And then we're going to go through some, uh, a video of the chosen. I don't know if you've witnessed or seen that, but it's very um, impactful with uh, the Christian faith. And then also, we're just going to go through some perspectives of the people that are at play here. And so if you would, uh, just pray with me. I I would like to just settle my own heart and get into uh, the Spirit, and we'll get going with reading Matthew 14. Father, we love you. Your mercies are new every morning. And Father, today your mercies are for us. Jesus, would you give us, Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that would understand. Father, you have things in my heart that you've done. Would you help them come out this morning? In your name, I pray. Amen. Let's begin by reading Matthew 14, 13 through 21. When Jesus heard what had happened, and he's talking about John the Baptist being beheaded. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replies, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he says. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, and he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them back to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. 
And so, I want to start out with this. Just a quick, fun fact. Did you know that this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels? It is the only miracle that is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They thought, the, the, the four gospel writers thought it was that important that each of them had it in their writing and letters that they're sending out to the churches. Jesus feeding the 5,000. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel writer, they, they all have a certain way of giving this record, and they all have a very certain purpose to tell. And so with Mark, the book of Mark uh, is mainly focusing on Gentiles, and so when he speaks about Jesus and the 5,000, he's talking to Gentiles that are outside the family of God. They don't follow the religious, uh, um, they don't follow the religious, um, help me here, um, way of the Jews. Um, they don't follow what they do. They're, all of the things that they're, um, I'm looking for a word here. Okay. Practices, that works, practices. Um, and so they, he focuses on the Gentiles, and, and he specifically says that Jesus has compassion, and at, he looks out on the crowd as lost sheep. It's the shepherd looking at, over the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and so to the Gentiles. Luke focuses on strengthening the faith of all believers. He's just a factual kind of guy. He has eyewitnesses that he goes to, and he's writing down these testimonies. And so Luke is just kind of across the board, this is what happened. No, does it have necessarily an agenda or a bias of who, do you, who he's writing to? This is what happened. John focuses on a very specific reason. John 20, 30 and 31, John writes us this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. <sighs> Why not? But these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing you have me, may have life in his name. John wants you to know that Jesus is the Son of God. Is his purpose in giving us that record. Now Matthew, which we're going to focus on today. Matthew is specifically writing to Jewish believers. So he is persuading this Jewish audience that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. Jesus is the king, the priest, the prophet. But even more, he wants to reveal to his audience that Jesus is the better Moses. And so the Jewish believers, they, they held Moses to a very elevated, a very high standard. The books, the law of Moses were elevated to a point of, I would say, almost idolatry. They followed Moses and elevated him. And so for Matthew to come and say, Jesus is actually better, it's going to cause some things in their heart. And so I want to look at this, uh, this better Moses and this parallel to Exodus of the feeding of the 5,000 and the bread coming down from heaven. Now, Moses is this character in the Old Testament that was raised in Egypt. He's called away from Egypt as the uh, Jewish nation is in enslavement to Pharaoh. And then God calls Moses back to bring them out of the land. And so Mer Moses is this character that brings forth uh, the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. I mean, he's this very important character in the Old Testament. And so we have this parallel right after the Jewish nation comes out from Egypt through the Red Sea, they're in the wilderness, they're in a desert, they're in a solitary place, and Moses is leading them, and they, they get hungry. They begin to get really 
hungry. And then they begin to complain and say, we would rather be in Egypt where we had better food, we had better drink, and now we're here. They just came from slavery, mind you. They forgot pretty quickly. And Moses turns to God and goes, God, what are you going to do about this? And God, with compassion, with compassion, with the grumbling happening, he gives them bread from heaven called manna, and then he blows this huge wind and sends a ton of quail to feed this nation of people. And so in this, this, this picture, this parallel, we have the desert where, where there is a wilderness, there is a solitary place. Jesus is in the wilderness in a solitary place with this massive amount of people. We have grumbling, we have this complaining with all those following Moses, and then we actually have some grumbling in Mark. It tells us that the disciples, uh, as they're going, they didn't even have time to eat right now. They're hangry. And we, we get the message of them saying, send them away. They're done with these people. And then with that, we have this compassion and provision. Compassion and provision of God in the Old Testament providing for the people of Israel. And then compassion and provision of Jesus breaking the bread and feeding the 5,000. And so when the Jewish people read this, you better believe they're going to go, uh, that looks pretty simple. They know what is happening here. There's, there's intimate and purposeful writing from Matthew of them going, I have to do something with this. And so whole, the whole point of Matthew's writing is bringing the Jewish people to say, who is this man? Who is Jesus? And what do I have to do with him? And I believe Jesus, Matthew, wants us to ask the same thing. So before I continue on to set the sermon up for the rest of today, I would like to watch a scene from the Trojan. This is the feeding of the 5,000. And so this is really uh, important to pay attention. It, it's creative, it's imaginative, and, and um, it, this will set us up. Uh, it's about 10 minutes long, and, so, and I've prepared for that um, in my sermon. I'm not added 10 minutes on, but this is just, would you just get into your imagination and watch this clip? Are we going to be able to do this, Trev? Okay, there we go. To others. For clarifying. Even if we... Isabella and its entire population. Worth everything. I wonder. Watch a fight. 
You... Where did you find that? At the bottom of my bag. <laughs> Forgot it was in there. It's a little stale, but... It'll do. You, you've been out here for days and, and you just... You just discovered it? I've followed some men who told me we were coming to watch a fight. A fight? Everyone was just in such a hurry. Does anyone have any food? Food? Your name is Andrew, yes? Yes. Telemachus. I wanted to say thank you again for everything you... I'm not the one healed your father, but I can certainly pass that along. You've been asking about food. Yes. I want to share what I have. Somnis can feed one family of thousands. I just wanted to do what I could. The kingdom of heaven okay? is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What do you mean by that? No, I don't. No. Let me say it no. another way. Instead of, we should. It is like a merchant in search of fine Why? pearl. Why? There's no way to feed these One people. pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Listen carefully, because this is accessible to all of you, regardless of race or creed. It's the last thing we need the to do. The kingdom okay, is so saying. valuable that once you have glimpsed it, it's worth parting with everything you have in order to gain it. We shouldn't burden him. Even though to others you might look like a fool, throwing away your life savings to buy what would look to others an unremarkable field. But you know of the hidden treasure. That makes it worth everything. Have you come closer to here better? No, there, there is an issue. My friends, if you'll excuse me, I must speak with my students a moment. Rabbi, mm. people are out of food. Some have been without food for days, others have traveled a great distance. So, give them something to eat. We're out of food. They're out of food. Is it time to send them home? Well, at this point, they're so hungry and tired, if we send them home, they're faint along the way. You knew they were hungry? Yes, Judas. I can see them while I'm talking. Hmm. <laughs> Well, this is a tough one. Where can we buy some bread for all these people? We only came with a little over 200 denarii. Rabbi, that's not even enough to get a little bit for everyone. I wouldn't even know how to calculate that. Matthew and I can calculate that. That's really easy. Maybe if we go into the cities, we can negotiate something on credit. Yes. Yes, that could work. Negotiate with whom? The closest city is Abila, and its entire population is here. It's nine miles away, and even if we raided every house in town, we'd have to find a way to bring it back here, and it would still only feed a fraction of the masses. Can you bring me anything? Surely there's some food from someone, even a small amount. Five loaves of bread and two fish. But what is this for so many? Barley loaves. 
two fish and five barley loaves. Thank you for clarifying. This is humiliating. John? He will take care of it if he wants to. You look scared. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid that he'll choose them. This is wonderful bread, Telemachus. I know it's not enough. Oh, it's enough for me. I can do a lot with this. Thank you. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Did they find some bread? If they've got bread, be ready. We'll probably be first. Feed them. What has changed? Are we... Organize the people into groups of 50 and 100. Gather up 12 baskets to distribute the loaves and fish. Was I unclear? Ah, no. This feels familiar. Maybe. Let's go. Does anyone have a basket? Please borrow a basket. Please. 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 Come on. Yes, over here. Feed them. Yes. Anyone have a basket? Anyone? The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, yeah, yeah. it is larger than all the okay, gardens. It becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and make their nests in its branches. I've got one. Okay. Okay. Just keep on, break up the bread. Okay, how need do we have? There, you think so. There. The Do you need some? Give me some of that. Do you have enough? Just like yeah, that. Yeah. There. There. You want to eat some? It's better than the tail. That's the last of it. Yeah, that's the last of it. All right. Marcus, you can have your basket back.
I've kept you here all this time giving you spiritual food. But you clearly need actual food now. So let's eat! Isn't that beautiful? Just, just the imagination that comes into uh, The Chosen, and we get to see um, just the emotion of, of the disciples getting to partake in this miracle and Jesus' joy in feeding the 5,000. There's, there's a couple of characters within the story that we're going to look through now, and I, I hope that you will be able to relate in some way. And so we're going we're gonna to start out with looking at the crowd that is here. And as you, as you look back, I mean, 5,000 people. Now, Matthew is very specific, and thank God for him, because he says 5,000 men besides women and children. And so he's only counting 5,000 men. And so if you add in women and children, you're, you're at least, at the least, doubling. Maybe tripling, probably even more quadrupling. I mean, we're talking to like... 15 to 20,000 people. If, if Matthew's text says besides women and children, that's a ton of people. That's all of Moscow, Idaho's population. That's, all, that's the Kibi Dome within Moscow. That's everybody that can fit in there and then some. That's Rathrum and Sandpoint combined. I mean, we're talking a ton of people. I, don't, I, I mean, this can do it justice, but as Jesus is teaching, there's, there's um, scenes, and this is kind of recorded history, is that the way Jesus taught with his disciples is, is that there would be speakers spread out through the crowd so that the people in the back would eventually get the message. So Jesus would preach, the next person would hear that's 50 yards down the way, he would preach the same thing, and so it's telephone down, okay? And so a massive amount of people are here. The crowd. I want to talk about proximity, nearness to Jesus, nearness to his followers. Those that are following Jesus in the crowd that are there for the benefits, they're there for the experience, they're there for the healings, they're there because of FOMO, fear of missing out. They're there with expectations to make Jesus king and ruler, to make sure the Roman government, the Roman rule is out of there. They are there wanting something from Jesus and his followers. Now, I wonder if some of us, at certain times, I, th- I know I can relate to this in my seasons of life, of being in the crowd, 
away from Jesus. I want you to picture now, think about the people that were way in the back. Number 3,535 person that gets fish and loaves. I mean, he's receiving this message from somebody else, not necessarily from the mouth of Jesus, okay? He misses out on so much being that far away in the crowd. I'm talking, I'm talking about nominal Christianity. We come to church. We, we may be part of some groups. Um, but for the most part, we're pretty closed off in relationship. We're not sharing our addictions. We're not, we're not going there. We're not sharing our sins. We're not confessing to each other. We come, and Sunday is something to check off the box. You're in the crowd. You get to be a part. You get the benefits of having the bread, of, of, of getting some fish. But you miss out. And I think some of us have plopped ourselves down in the back of the crowd and we're satisfied with somebody else telling us about Jesus. We're satisfied with podcasts. We're satisfied with books. We're satisfied with uh, TV series. We're satisfied with sermons, etc., without actually getting near to the one who satisfies. Without ever growing in relationship with others in the kingdom, without ever actually coming into, I just want to tell you, in my early stage of Christianity, uh, when I came to Christ at 19, I had a really good friend, a mentor, who was about four years older than I. And I went through a really hard season in, uh, in my walk where I came in thinking that pornography would go away as a 19-year-old man, expressing faith, and then still struggling through one of my, he's still my best friend today because one of my best experiences in Christianity is one, going to that best friend and confessing and him, me standing, taking the fig leaf so, off, so to speak, and him looking at me and going, I love you. I'm still here for you. I'm going to walk with you through this. He's, he's my best friend today. And that was over 13, 14 years ago that he became that best friend because of the confession, because of walking my sin out and, and him helping me towards forgiveness and repentance. I'm going to guess, statistics show, that we are struggling with addictions. We are struggling with sin, and we need somebody to come in, one, to confess with, but also so somebody can grab you and go, I love you, I see you, I know you, and I'm still here for you. And, and we need that proximity. We need that nearness. Now, I'm not just talking also about kingdom in all of life kingdom, not all of life's kingdom, this being church kingdom. I'm talking about big K kingdom. You can not only partake in the miracle, but actually be a conduit with Jesus as you grow in nearness to him. And so you're in the crowd, you're in the back, you're getting to hear the message, you're getting to hear, but you could actually be the one taking the basket and giving out the bread and the fishes. Fish. Plural? Which one is it? Okay. Um, so this other character that is here that I really want to point out, and I love that this just came off of youth camp because there's this boy that's portrayed. Now, in all the Gospels, it just talks about five loaves and, uh, and two fish, but there's a boy portrayed in John specifically that talks about this, that there is this youth that comes forth. Mom packed him lunch, and he says, you know what? I'm going to share today. I'm going to give what I have. 
One boy who brings everything he has to Jesus. Paul speaks to Timothy, a young man that has grown up in the faith that Paul pours into. And he tells him, uh, as a young man in ministry, he specifically says to this youth, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for all believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Jesus calls all of his followers to believe like children, trusting everything that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give us, resting in the promises, relying, believing with all hope. This is a call for our youth. This, and just so you know, this didn't happen. Trevor didn't put this on. I love how this Holy Spirit works, but this is a call up for our youth. You have so much to give the kingdom. You have faith like a child that you can believe and bring forth everything you have and say, Jesus, here's my five loaves and two fish, and he multiplies it. And then this is a call to humility for us in the church that may have been walking with Jesus for a while. Maybe you're older in age, but just to bring you down that the next generation, the next generation that is being raised in the church, they have so much to give. We can learn and be encouraged and be blessed as we give them space, space to explore their faith, to express their faith. As a boy comes and says, this is what I have, and look what Jesus does with it. These other characters that are here, I want to focus a little bit on the disciples. These 12 men that follow Jesus that have literally given everything for the sake of the kingdom. They've left job, they've left home, they've left family for the sake of Christ. And I love that we get to see in this passage uh, the, the hearts of the disciples. And, and even in The Chosen, we get to see the hearts of the disciples. They are tired. In Mark, it tells us that they haven't eaten they are peopled to death. They have been serving and serving and serving and serving. Not having time for a meal. Brought to the point of saying, Jesus, we don't have food. Send them away. Let them go back home. We don't have anything else to give them. And then Jesus, I, I, I just love how he, uh, he brings them to this point of them saying, send them away, and then he brings them to this point of impossible situations. He constantly does this with his disciples. Don't think it's so out of his way to not do it with you. He brings them to a point of saying, only, they, they can only say, only God can do this. This is an impossible situation. They bring forth loaves and fish almost as a joke. You hear uh, Andrew say, what good are these? Like, here's what we, here's, here's the five loaves and fish. Good luck, Lord. What good is this? Theologian and teacher Bill Lane has been known to say, you should always work at the level of your own inadequacy. You should always work at the level of your own inadequacy. This was his way of teaching his students to accept following Jesus as a life of impossible commands. Is that not true? When you read the Beatitudes, when you read through the Sermon on the Mount, and you just go, there is no way. I can never do that. Love your enemy as yourself. What? Are you kidding me? There's a hopeless situation paralleled 
to the starving Israelites in the wilderness, exactly paralleled to what they're experiencing. Inadequacy. And I just want to get real for a second. Are we, I, I'm, I'm aware of, of things going on in certain people's lives, yes, in this church, and, and, and just in my sphere of influence, but I know where people are at with hopeless situations. But they're coming to God and saying, I don't have anything. There's nothing else to give. You're in this impossible situation. You, you empathize with the disciples of feeling weary and tired and worn. And I'm specifically talking to those in ministry and service uh, of the kingdom where you just feel like you continually pour out your heart and you're so tired. I need something more. The burden is too heavy. Jesus can do so much with our inadequacy. This is a beautiful picture of, of the disciples in their inadequacy bringing a little boy's loaves and fish and Jesus multiplying it. I believe the greatest point of inadequacy, inadequacy was for me um, was bringing home my baby boy. <laughs> I don't know how I got to bring home a child, you guys. If you knew, I, I mean, you would also be like, this guy should not have a kid. <laughs> At a point of inadequacy, thank God for Bonnie, my wife. At a point of inadequacy of, of Jese meeting me in the at that point, and just, one, experiencing the Father's own love for me because of the amount of love I felt for this little boy, but also just growing and learning who he was and, and Jesus meeting me in that moment of growing me up, maturing me so that I could take care for him. But I was so inadequate to be a father. And I know, parents, you probably can. We went through classes, and there's nothing that can prepare you for being a father, being a mother. There's nothing. Jesus called me into something I never thought I could do. It's at this point of inadequacy that Jesus does miracles. That we bring everything we have to feed 20,000. Elizabeth Elliot writes this. If the only thing you have to offer is a broken heart, you offer that broken heart. So in the time of grief, of recognition, that is the material for sacrifice has been a very great strength for me, she says. Realizing that I have nothing, nothing I am will be refused on the part of Christ. I simply give it to him as a little boy gave Jesus his five loaves and two fish. With the same feeling of the disciples when they say, what is the good of that for such a crowd? Naturally, in almost every, anything I offer to Christ, my reaction is, what is the good of that? And the point is, the use he makes of it is his blessing. The point of this, of her quote, is that we bring everything to Christ not relying on ourselves, not relying on our strength, but relying actually on our weaknesses because he can then come through and do a miracle. And now I want to look at Jesus, this other character, the character in this passage. Matthew, in uh, verse 14, he says, Jesus looks out on the large crowd 
and has compassion on them. Now, I don't know about you, but after being weary and tired and hungry, as they're rowing across the lake, can you picture the disciples watching this crowd as they're going to a solitary place, watching the crowd coming along the, 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 uh, the next to the lake there? I would be going, are you kidding? Send them home. Get away. We're going to grieve the, the beheading of John. We need some time alone. It's like going into the bathroom and little fingers coming under the door. If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But Jesus looks on them with compassion. Sheep without a shepherd. I want to say this. In this scenario... When Jesus is the one feeding you, so the crowd, if, if, if you relate with the crowd member, and you come forward, you're, you're getting food directly from Jesus himself. You will be completely satisfied. It says, it says in uh, verse 20, they all ate and were satisfied. All ate and were satisfied. As it comes directly from Jesus. And then there's this, there's this point that I want to turn you to is that the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is not a miracle. And this is the miracle within the miracle. I'm going to read a quote in just a second that explains this a little further. But 20,000 people, you guys, and there's 12 basketfuls left over? Are you kidding me? That's the miracle. It's, it's not the miracle of abundance. There wasn't so much left over that they got sent home and had a ton of th- There were 12 basketfuls left for the disciples. Here they are, weary, tired, hungry, and Jesus helps them to serve, and then he gives them exactly what they need. Michael Card says, if you don't engage with your imagination, you miss this miracle. It's not one of abundance. It's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, which was one of perfect, perfect provision. The 12 disciples collected 12 small baskets of crumb so that they too might be fed. Now listen to this. This is beautiful. And all this is by the power of the one who taught them to pray only for their daily bread. This is an example of that. They get to experience the daily bread, perfect provision for now. Not tomorrow, not yet, for now. His provision was complete. His provision is total. His provision is satisfying. After the disciples have served others, Jesus gives them exactly what they need. Now, this is really interesting. I love this, this picture. In Exodus 16, verses 17 and 18, we're hearing about God giving manna and giving the blessing of quail. What's really interesting is, if you you remember that in this, God provided, and it says, no more less and no more needed than what was for the day. And so no one had too little and no one had too much. The manna was perfect provision. And here we see that, 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 that his disciples had no less or no more than what they needed. Perfect provision. And this is where I want to wrap up uh, this sermon. Jesus gives us strength for today. 
I think often we find ourselves worrying about tomorrow. We're hoping for strength for tomorrow, but we need it today. We're, we're anxious ridden about what could happen, the what ifs, what is going to come. And yet we need, we're, we're trying to gain strength for that that's coming. But today is what we need. Today, what's right in front of us is what God is calling us into. So Jesus gives us strength for today. His mercies are new every morning. Isn't that beautiful? It's not, his mercies last for five days, and then, and then you got to ask again. His mercies are new every morning. His the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. His grace is sufficient for today, and his power is perfected in our weaknesses today. And so you're looking forward. If you're anxious ridden, you have the what ifs. You, you don't know what's about to happen in these relationships, in uh, housing, in whatever it is, job. His strength is sufficient for today. I'd like to invite the worship team up and I would like to read this over you. This is Kent Hughes, an author, commentator, And as we prepare to enter back into worship, further into worship, and then also we're going to also during this time get the elements uh, of bread and a cup to enjoy the blessing of communion with each other. We're going to do it individually today. So during the next two songs, at any time, please help yourself to the bread and the cup. But I would like to read this first. The feeding of the 5,000 was meant to instruct us as to the meaning of communion. The cup and the bread tell us that Christ's life was given as an atonement for our sins. It is from his death and the resurrection that we have life. But the feeding of the 5,000 also tells us that he truly feels for us compassionate mercy. He looks on us with compassionate mercy as sheep without a shepherd. But that's, that's if you are outside of that. If you, you have believed in Jesus, you are sheep with a shepherd. You have somebody caring for you with compassionate mercy. And if you're, if you're not yet, would you come? Would you, this is an invitation to come and enjoy the shepherd's blessing of mercy and that he up omnipotently provides for us through his creative power. Isn't this creative? Five loaves and two, two fish. How, how beautiful. And that he fully satisfies. You will not go away. When Jesus, when you meet Jesus, you will be satisfied. And finally, that he calls us to give what we have to him. Maybe you relate with that boy. I just, all I have, Lord, is five loaves and two fish. I come with what I have. Look what Jesus can do. But even more, this is the beautiful part. In the family of God, as we get to partake, he gives us, he he, he breaks the bread and he gives it back to us. And he says, you get to feed them. You, disciple, you partake in the miracle. You be the blessing. That we might share in the bread of life with multitudes who are like sheep without a shepherd. We have the blessing of receiving, not only experiencing the miracle, but then going to the masses, going to getting to experience the bread and the fish, the bread and the cup today with each other. And so I end with this, just this, this short little prayer. 
Father, help us to live this day, this day, to the full, being true in you in every way. Jesus, help me, help us as a family to give myself, ourselves away to others, being kind to everyone we meet. Spirit, Holy Spirit, help us to love the lost, proclaiming Christ in all that we do and say amen. Would you stand?